From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 2nd. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering and David Bank join me to explain SPACs, that stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, and how this hottest trend on Wall Street landed in Impact Investing. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Brian. Hey, David. Hey, Brian. And we'll hear from Archana Sarang, the youth activist who spoke at the UN Biodiversity Summit, who's this week's Agent of Impact. But first, here's what you need to know in Impact Investing. A Paris Accord for Biodiversity? In case you thought things couldn't get any worse, the Earth is in the midst of its sixth mass extinction. This one is human-caused. This week's UN Biodiversity Summit was aimed at a global agreement on the scale of the Paris Climate Accord and to mobilize the capital markets to avert ecosystem collapse. First, governments need to stop making the problem worse by reducing more than a half trillion dollars in subsidies that are harmful to nature in agriculture, fisheries, and forestry. The money is there, said Christiana Figueres, who helped broker the Paris Accord. Around the world, at least $12 trillion in stimulus and COVID recovery has been injected into the capital markets, and that could reach $20 trillion. So the level of that injection of capital, because of the amount and because of the very short time period, is going to determine the characteristics of the global economy, not for 18 months, but certainly for a decade, if not two or three decades. And it so happens that that is the decade of the 20s in which we have to decarbonize. S&P Global dropped some laggards from their Environmental, Social, and Governance, or ESG, index. S&P cut companies generating more than 5% of their revenues from thermal coal. That included Duke Energy, Dominion, American Electric Power, and others. You may recall last week's call for financing racial justice. Well, Bank of America has issued a $2 billion equality progress bond. This five-year bond will be used to invest in positive impact on black and brown communities through affordable housing development, mortgage lending, health facilities, and minority-owned banks and credit unions, as well as supply chain lending and equity for minority-owned businesses. Citi added another $50 million to its $150 million Citi Impact Fund, specifically to invest in black entrepreneurs. The fund has invested in a waste-to-energy company, 3D printed homes, and The Mom Project a female-founded marketplace connecting women to good jobs. Citi, which manages nearly $2 trillion in assets, has committed $1 billion to help close the racial wealth gap in the U.S. And Illumin Capital, the impact investment fund of funds led by Darren Dodson, closed its first fund at more than $85 million. Illumin works with fund managers to correct for racial and gender biases, which are often implicit and unconscious. These biases cause fund managers to misallocate capital. Illumin's thesis, less bias, better returns, more impact. Now it's time for our feature story. SPACs, the hot Wall Street trend of using blank check vehicles to take private companies public while bypassing the traditional IPO process. It's now making its way to impact investing. David and Jessica, walk us through this trend. Well, Brian, SPACs have been sort of talk of the town for a, a few weeks now um, all over Wall Street. They're basically a way to have an IPO without actually having an IPO um, and take companies public. But they kind of burst out in impact land this week with the acquisition by one of these SPACs of a company called App Harvest in Moorhead, Kentucky, kind of a trifecta of trends. They're a, a high-tech greenhouse in the middle of coal country. It's a B Corp. Uh, it's sustainable agricultural production, 
It's got investors like Martha Stewart, uh, James Murdoch, inclusive capitals, Jeffrey Ubbin, who you recall was an agent of impact a, a couple weeks back, um, Black Capital's Kevin Johnson. And then, it, as you say, went public via this SPAC, uh, this one called uh, Novus Capital Corp, which provided $100 million that it had raised publicly, but another $375 million um, in a pipe, another acronym you need to know, uh, a private investment in a public equity. Um, and so $475 million raised, uh, a billion dollar valuation uh, that you're starting to talk about real money. Right. But what App Harvest doesn't have yet is revenues because they haven't actually grown or sold any produce yet. Um, their first harvest, uh, it's supposed to be tomatoes, isn't expected to hit the market until early next year. So why is App Harvest going public now, Jessica? Well, Brian, they need the capital to fuel their expansion. Um, there's a lot of benefits to growing food the way App Harvest is planning to. Um, it's much less resource intensive and it's much more predictable to grow produce like um, tomatoes in a, a large greenhouse like they're doing. They use 90% um, less water, for example. That's just one data point. But still, these greenhouses effectively make App Harvest an infrastructure business, and that's really capital intensive as a business model. Um, I spoke with Jonathan Webb, App Harvest CEO, earlier this week about why they're choosing to go public now. We wanted to take this company public as we were about to start selling our fruits and vegetables, let the consumer of our fruit and vegetable be the buyer of our stock, uh, owner in the company to help rebuild agriculture in America with us. So Jessica, is growing plants indoors in a controlled environment the future of agriculture? It certainly seems that way from where I am. Um, you know, I live in Amsterdam and App Harvest actually sources all of its greenhouse technology from here in the Netherlands. I think there's a lot more for us to dig into on the Dutch agricultural tradition reporting wise, but here's the key statistic you need to know. Uh, the Netherlands is actually half the size of, less than half the size of Kentucky but it's the second biggest agricultural exporter in the world after the US. And that's only possible because of its incredible high-tech indoor farming practices. And most of those are, yes, high-tech, but still traditional greenhouses are not these vertical farms um, you see popping up in other places. Um, and for Webb, I think that's you know what, what he's articulated is needed for us to secure the future of food and to produce it sustainably, that there really needs to be widespread adoption of this kind of um, growing technology, both in the U.S. and worldwide. You could make the argument that in our lifetime, most power will come from renewable resources. Most cars will run on electricity and, and most all fruits and vegetables at scale will be grown in a controlled environment facility. We don't have a choice. Climate's rapidly changing. Uh, farmers don't have the predictability to be able to grow outdoors. In the U.S., California is drought-stricken. It's on fire. That's where we grow food in the U.S. We've moved much of our food down to Mexico. The food system here is very fragile. Uh, it's just been uh, exposed even more so through COVID. And, and we're just going to have to work together to, to solve these problems rapidly. So. so, David, if growing plants indoors is the future of agriculture, are SPACs the future of new sources of cash? I don't know if they're the future. They seem to be the present. They were popping up all over the place. Playboy Enterprises went public uh, yesterday in a, in a reverse merger with one of these SPACs. Um, Bridges Fund Management, which is a, a kind of um, you know pioneer and, and veteran impact investing firm, floated its SPAC uh, yesterday as well, $400 million. They're going to go out and look for companies aligned with the sustainable development goals that have um, the ability to for them to, you know, add sustainability and sort of inclusive business practices into the whatever the acquisition company is. The thing is, nobody knows what companies these entities, these 
piles of cash are going to go buy. That's what's fascinating about them. The investors floated on the stock market, raised the money, and then go hunt for the company. So it's a little bit of a blank check? Yeah, Brian, people do call them blank check companies. And that makes the impact case actually kind of interesting because all they have to go on is the management team, obviously, but also the thesis of the of the company is, is disclosed in the initial filing. And so they're going to look for um, you know, something. And one of the attractive things to look for these days is companies that deliver positive impact. You know, investors like it. It, it makes for better uh, headlines, better press reporting, et cetera. So there's kind of a little bit of a run um, now on these kind of mid-size or, or gro- and growing impact companies like App Harvest that can consume large amounts of cash um, and have a sort of attractive story because it's basically the SPACs are selling a story. Well, this all sounds very spectacular, and it sounds like these SPACs are exceeding the expectations of investors and those in impact <laughs> investing. <laughs> now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact, Archana Sarang. Archana is a member of the Kadia tribe in Odisha, India, and one of seven members of the UN's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. She's advocating for both youth and indigenous communities, which are key stakeholders in any biodiversity efforts, and sometimes victims of conservation efforts as well. Let's hear a little of her speech from this week's UN Biodiversity Summit. We need to revisit our ambitions and approach to conservation and protected areas, doubling protected areas to cover 30% of the globe, as some want to see in the post-2020 global biodiversity framework will lead to immense human rights violation. It could constitute the biggest land grab of the world history, reducing millions of people to landless poverty, all in the name of conservation. Removing us from our land in order to protect nature is deeply colonial and environmentally damaging. We should be the leaders of conservation, not victims of it. My third and the last message to the world leaders is that we youth are your biggest allies to protect the future of our planet and reverse biodiversity loss. We are and will be facing the impacts of biodiversity crisis. Despite this, we remain marginalized, unrecognized and underrepresented in decision-making spaces. More proactive steps are the way forward to ensure intersectional and intergenerational equity. We are tired of your countless environmental pledges, agreements and failed commitment. All we want to say is that we are ready to work with you to reverse the biodiversity loss. The question is, are you, Johar? You can see our profile of Archana and all of our agents of impact on Instagram. Follow us at the handle at Impact Alpha. That's going to do it for your impact briefing this week. You can read more of these stories at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive the daily brief and full access to Impact Alpha, including subscriber-only agent of impact calls. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use code briefing100 for $100 off. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Jessica Pothering and David Bank, as well as our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company, Liquinet. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a second to rate and review the show right now. It really helps us reach more listeners. And make sure you check back for next week's Impact Briefing. Until then, take care.